Welcome to What Do You Think? I'm Al. I'm C. And today we are reviewing George Miller's anticipated follow-up to uh, Mad Max Fury Road. Uh, this movie has been years in the making. Literally. Three, <laughs> literally. 3,000 years of longing. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> no, the, the movie sounds a lot cooler than what C just implied with his horrible, sure. horrible Oh, music. okay, okay. Sorry, sorry. No, all right. You know, see, I got to ask, are you mm -hmm. a George Miller fanboy or are you just one of those like you saw Mad Max Fury Road and you're like, oh, it's the greatest action movie ever made. I'm offended that you would be completely accurate by my exact reaction to that movie. <laughs> so, OK, for the record, no, I'm not the I'm not a huge George Miller um, uh, fanboy. I, I certainly think he's very talented. And we'll get into this, but when Mad Max Fury Road came out, I was 100% enthralled by it. I really thought it was, I don't know if it was my favorite movie of the year, but I genuinely thought it was one of the best movies of the year. Um, I just thoroughly loved both its action, its story, its setting, the way it was filmed, um, the insanity of it. I simply loved it. How did you feel about it, Al? So, you know, my father showed me the original 1979 uh, film Mad Max that made uh, George Miller a name and that made, more importantly, Mel Gibson the biggest star in the world. Uh, I saw Mad Max 2 as a kid also as well. And I actually didn't get around to seeing Beyond the Thunderdome until I was in high school because my dad just hated that movie. I was like, like most people, like that was one of the few movies he saw in theaters during the 80s. And he walked out like feeling betrayed. Mm. <laughs> um, mm. So I only ever knew George Miller for, for Mad Max. Like I knew the name was associated with Mad Max. That's all I knew him from. Mm -hmm. I ironically enough, I have actually seen two or three films of his not knowing that it was the guy who made Mad Max. So imagine my mind getting blown away when I realized, wait, that's George Miller is the same guy who made Mad, Ma Mad Max. What were, those two, what were those two movies? Uh, the Witches of Eastwick, which mm -hmm. was this movie starring. Um, it was like, I think Jack Nicholson was like the devil and Cher, Susan Sarandon and Michelle Pfeiffer were like three women who, who get powers from him. It, it, it likes, it likes to play on, on basic cable, like around the Halloween season. Uh, you ever see it? No, I have not. I have not. Well, Jack Nicholson plays a pretty good devil in that. I believe uh, that. I believe that. Um, and then uh, I know, I know a lot of people. This is the one that always shocks people. Uh, Babe, Pig in the City. I did know that. Well, oh no, he may yeah, he he wrote the original. It's one of the it's one of the Oscar nominations. There's he there's got. a controversy about that. That really that basically the same with Poltergeist. That George Miller was like the ghost director. But like for mm. some, for some weird reason he he couldn't officially direct it so he hired someone else to do it, uh, uh, you know you know that story right with uh, with Poltergeist. No, oh, I know with Poltergeist. Yeah, it's everyone agrees it's Steven Spielberg secretly made it. Basically. Yeah, so the same thing applies to Babe. In fact, it was such a big deal that that's the reason why the director didn't show up for uh, the Oscars the year that Babe got nominated, which was I think 1996. Wow. I think was the year. But yeah. And then obviously he took the reins. He full on took the reins and Bay picking the city. Yeah. So yeah, people are always shocked with like, oh, what he directed that? I had no idea. And then obviously Happy Feet. Uh, yeah. You know, you know what's funny about that? About Happy Feet. 
was that that's when I kind of realized, wait, because as a kid, I always thought to myself, like, whatever happened to the guy who made Mad Max? He made such crazy movies. And then, like, when when Happy Happy Feet comes out, uh, I watched, like, a featurette where, like, they talk about, like, well, you know, you, you're known for your Mad Max movies, and here you are doing a kid's animated film, which you won an Oscar for. Yeah. And I was like, wait, that's the same guy? Oh, my God. Um, but, yeah. But when I saw Mad Max Fury Road, I liked it. I really did. Mm-hmm. But. Here we go. This story was lacking. <laughs> no, I disagree. I, I, so, okay, well, you know what? I oh, know I talked, you, go on. What, what are you saying? Okay, so, for, for those of you who are like, what, you don't like Mad Max Fury? I like it fine. It's whatever. I just, the, the, and this is weird because everybody knows me. Like, a, anybody who knows me knows that I'm the, this guy really likes action. Like, really, really likes action. The more violent, the more elaborate, the better it is for him, right? Mm-hmm. So I went into this movie thinking I'm about to fall in love and I will want to have a 35-millimeter print of this. And I left going like, yeah, I was fine. But I, you know what? My, my issue, my issue, this isn't the movie's issue. My issue is that I had started... To kind of drift away from, or or when I talk about action, I mean you know, like like human stunts or no, mm-hmm. let me rephrase that like 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 fight choreography, right? Fight choreography, human to human choreography. That's the stuff I love. So for me, um, when I walked out of that, and someone said, "Well, what do you think?" I said, "Well, that's not better than the raid." That that's the raid has still has the best action that I've seen in such a long time. What this has is car stunts and car stunts are fine. I have nothing against car stunts. Uh, Mad Max two has some of the best car stunts you'll see, but it was like, it was like, to me, it was like, well, everybody loves the car stunts and I'm kind of like, yeah, no, it's fine. Oh, Oh, look, a, a crazy guy with a, with a crazy guitar. Okay, great. Uh, so that was kind of my thing. Was that everybody thought that I wanted, you know, just. <sighs> Do you know what I'm saying? Because l- let's be honest, there's only like two fight scenes in Mad Max Fury Road. One when Mad Mad escapes and the other one when he confronts uh, Furiosa for the first time. Mm-hmm. And that's it. The rest is just crazy car stunts, which is fine. If you like that, if, if you're someone who's into that, great, by all means. That just really wasn't my deal. So so when people get shocked that I don't list it like in my top 10, it's like, I like it fine. But for me, there were just other better films in that decade. But, you know, that's that's just me. I I I don't hate it. I know a lot. I know it always gets switched that like, oh, Al hates this movie. I don't hate it. Well, can I acknowledge that in college you're being nicer than the, some of the way we were out of were college, in college when this came when this came out. By the way, this was 2015. No, you were out of college. Oh, I oh, was not. okay. See, okay. I was in senior year. You were, yeah. For those of you who don't know, while we were buddies in college, Al was a year ahead of me. Fun fact. Because I'm a genius. Because. But anyway, sure. Anyway. Let's go with that. No, yeah, but I I remember when everyone was like really into it, and I was like, I was just so confused because I thought to myself, I mean, this is stuff that this is stuff that he's known, for. you know. Okay, my mindset at the time was like, these people have not seen the first three Mad Max movies. 
is kind of what... actually no, well, no, actually you're probably right about that. I'll kind, give you that. You're probably and, right. And, and the the funny thing was was that a couple years later, I'm talking to my boss and we're talking about movies that like that like we were like not really into, and he goes, "You know what, Al?" I was like, "What?" You know, when Mad Max Fury Road came out, I was like, "That's eh, fine." I went in really excited. And I left going, "That oh, was all right." I was like, "Dude, me too." And we literally bonded over that. <laughs> now you do agree it was better than Mad Max Three, right? Oh, by far, dude, by far. It's it's better. Than, okay, Mad Max Fury Road to me is better than uh, 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 the Th- Beyond the Thunderdome. It's better than Happy Feet. Uh, maybe it's better than Witches of Eastwick. Maybe. It's not better than Babe, the first one. No, no, no. By, <laughs> no, dude. The first Babe will make every grown man cry, for the record. <laughs> the first Babe makes me cry all the time. <laughs> it's, but, um, come on, that'll but, do, pig. Yeah, do. so, but, you know, it's really interesting that kids who grew up loving, like, 80s flicks, right, 80s action flicks, know George Miller. and But, like, to regular cinephiles, he kind of was, like, especially because, like, after... After uh, after ninety, so he made a film called Lorenzo's Oil, which I've never seen in nineteen ninety two, and then he makes Babe three years later, and he pretty much just kind of disappears, only making you know Babe, Pig in the City, and the Happy Feet movies. Uh, he doesn't really make anything else, uh, so he only has he only has uh, one entire film for the entire decade of the two thousands, and yeah. he only has. Up until Fury Road, he only had one film throughout the 2010s. So the guy kind of disappeared. But with Fury Road, he came back and people just rediscovered him. And the thought was, and this will lead into our review. The thought was, was that, oh, well, now that he's made Fury Road, now that he got nominated for a ton of Oscars, uh, he's going to be a very in-demand director. Um, And, well, that didn't exactly happen. Because he got into a fight with Warner Brothers and his production company over the profits of Fury Road. He was kind of stuck in production limbo. Um, he, I think when 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 they were doing press for Fury Road, it was like, oh, there's going to be a Mad Max. There's going to be a Mad Max uh, 5 and there's going to be a Furiosa prequel. And it's going to be shot back to back. And obviously all that went up in the air and he made nothing. And then in like 2018 or something, he says, okay, I'm not going to make those movies right now. I'm going to make something called 3000 years of longing. Mm -hmm. And here we are. (laughs) Yep. Oh, one last thing I'll add. The reason he didn't make anything throughout except happy feet throughout the two thousands was because he was working on an adaptation of justice league for Warner brothers that never got anywhere. It never got anywhere, but dude, that cast was crazy. You had uh, Army Hammer, you had um, you had Army Hammer as Batman, you had uh, uh, Jay Baruchel as the bad guy. He was going to be playing. Um, he was going to be playing. Uh, who is he? Who is he? He's the guy that lives forever. I forget his name. Oh, <laughs> shit. Okay, that would have been interesting. Wow. Yeah, and um, he got a. Oh my gosh, I forget his name. Uh, DJ Corona Corota was gonna play uh, was gonna play uh, Superman. Um, he had. Uh, I'm doing this all off the top of my head. Yeah, no worries. He he he. Point is, 
this director has had two projects that he has bit, spent a lot of time on that went nowhere. Oh, wasn't he also going to do the Odyssey? He so first of all, every at some point everyone was going to do the Odyssey. Let's be clear. Uh-huh. Um, because basically, wait, are you talking about after Troy came out and then it was going to be the Odyssey immediately? Like, after? somewhat, sometime, because I remember reading, this was like around two, 2008. I heard that he was going to be making the Odyssey. Like, like after he had finished Happy Feet, he was going to be making the Odyssey. Okay, so that's much later on, because the only, the last major news I had ever heard about the Odyssey was that after Troy did not do well, the concept of the Odyssey really got canned. Which I would have still been very interested in that because it was going to have, um, uh, you know, uh, the guy from Game of Thrones and Lord of the Rings being Odysseus. Uh, what's his name? Oh, I'm just kind of looking at the cast for the Justice League movie he was going to make, Justice League Mortal. Yeah. And Adam Brody was going to be the Flash. Jay Baruchel was going to be Maxwell Lord. That's who he was going to be. And the uh, the a guy named Columbus Short was going to be uh, was going to be the Green Lantern, and Adrian Pelicki was going to be uh, Wonder Woman. Wow! And for the record, Sean Bean he was going to be Odysseus in the uh, in the Odyssey. They were basically it was going to be the film Troy, and then it was going to pick up immediately. Oh my God! It was going to be dude Miller was because I'm looking at it. Yeah. He was he was going to direct an adaptation of the Odyssey uh, because Brad Pitt was going to be producing it. And it would have been Sean Sean Bean as as Odysseus. Which, it would have been a sequel would, to Troy. And it was not just going to be a. It was going to be like a Odyssey trilogy. That was the plan. Oh. It was going because the Odyssey is this massive epic. Oh which my you gosh! Know, and it was going to be three major movies of Odysseus finding his way home. And it was going to be absolutely amazing. And you know he, you know Sean Bean. He already showed the performance of Odysseus in Troy. Uh, so we knew he would have done it. And we've seen him in enough different things to know he could have played Odysseus very well. Yeah. And, okay, the only other thing I got to say about that, that, that whole thing, and then we'll get to the trailer right away. The film Troy was supposed to be a lot better than it was. Do you know anything about this? I do. I do. Uh, okay. I'll summarize it real quick because I thought it was absolutely amazing. But basically, they made a huge set for the city Troy. They built it just outside of New Orleans. Then Katrina hit and destroyed the whole thing. So they had to do horrible, CG, really cheap CGI, comparatively, um, to remake it. Then they're filming it, and it's having major problems almost every day of shooting. So they have to scrap a bunch of scenes, and then they go back and reshoot stuff later. The point is, they were going to do a lot m- there was going to be this whole other premise with the gods, like observing the battle of Troy and having sort of this commentary, so to speak. And you only get a glimmer of that in literally one scene. Um, but I've like read stuff that they were going to do. Like there were going to be these amazing scenes where the God and goddess of war, were going to be having this conversation among the sleeping and the dead. Like, it like at night or as the sun is starting to rise. And I'm like, that's amazing. I would have wanted that so bad because the whole idea was they were playing a, um, a passive force, but there's a whole bunch of other stuff we, that we were supposed to get. We were supposed to get, um, 
We were supposed to be more in the city than we actually were, but because the set was destroyed, they couldn't do that. That's uh, why it's like, wait, this is a whole city of Troy, but hey, they're in like three rooms. Hey, see, how about a <laughs> sorry, sorry, how about, I, that's we, it. For, that's for, it. For another for for another uh, episode, we'll 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 talk about yeah. Wolfgang Peterson's uh, Troy. But for right now, how sure, about we watch sure. the trailer for? Sure, three. folks. Sorry, folks. Let's watch the trailer. My name is Alethea. My story is true. I am a solitary creature by nature. I have no children, no siblings, no parents. I did once have a husband. If there is fate, who can say? But in the Grand Bazaar of Istanbul, I chose a memento. I like it. Whatever it is, I'm sure it has an interesting story. So, what would you wish for? What is your heart's desire? I do have a question. What does one do with three wishes? You'll see. story about wishing that is not a cautionary tale we all have desires even if they remain hidden from us but it is your story and i cannot wait to see where it goes oh how it might end hello hello he'll be staying for a while I'm beginning to wish we'd never met. Don't say that! Make a wish! Save yourself! I have a wish. Solid trailer. Solid, solid trailer. Uh, okay. Um, see, let's yeah. uh, let's start with you. Uh, sure. Initial thoughts on the film. So, let me first state that I was very intrigued by this movie when it when the trailer initially dropped, and it kind of got me intrigued that I was getting sort of some similar vibes to like everything everywhere all at once in this in the eclectic sense where it was just so much happening in your face um and i was very excited that there were going to be more than one movie like that this year so i was really pumped um plus you know though i admit i'm not the i wasn't the biggest fanboy of the director um i enjoyed furiosa a lot so i was like okay good we're getting something new um, so this movie comes out and let me be clear. I enjoyed the movie. I'm not, I definitely, I definitely enjoyed the movie. 
Uh, overall, it was a, in a it was a positive experience. However, it's very easy for me to say that I enjoyed more some parts vastly more than other parts to a like a very significant degree, especially looking back at it. Um, and that's the biggest thing. That is, unfortunately, my biggest takeaway uh, from it. I will say that I think, you know, the performances are all great. There's nothing that's, by the numbers, so to speak, there's nothing bad. I can't, like, say, oh, this writing is bad or this is bad. It's, it is just unfortunate that the pacing of the movie was very off and unfortunate that you know what I longed for this movie to be more than it was there that's what it is but I still enjoyed it see you're being way 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 too kind (laughs) because I liked it okay that's why I'm being kind it's like I but that's my point I liked it but I wanted more and it actually underserved okay So, uh, 3,000 Years of Longing is an adaptation of a short story called The Djinn in the Nightingale's Eye, right? Um, I have not read the short story, but I have heard, I have done a little bit of research, that the short story is basically this woman is in Istanbul. She buys a little trinket. She accidentally breaks it, and out comes a djinn, a.k.a. a genie, but the proper term is djinn. Uh, so the djinn says, Hey, you get three wishes. You know, the rules, three wishes can't bring back the dead. Can't blah, blah, blah. We've all seen Aladdin folks. We know the rules, right? I'm sure I'm I'm assuming we all know the rules. Tells her the rules. And she's like, well, I, I'm a fancy smancy anthropologist who studies human mythology. So I know that these, these wishes are just going to get me into trouble. So he has to basically tell her stories to convince her how wishes can end up helping people. But for some reason, he always end up, his stories always end up giving her more resolve to not make a wish. Mm-hmm. So that's the short story. And in essence, that's also the plot of this film. Yeah, now, you, you basically summarize the plot. Yeah. Now, uh, the way the film plays out is that instead of us just seeing uh, the, the djinn played by Idris Elba, and the woman played by uh, uh, Tilda Swinton uh, in a room where he tells her these stories. George Miller actually actually shows us these stories, right? We, we we're inside the stories. Uh, we're we're in the perspective of the Jin as he's telling these stories. And let me just say, mm-hmm. the storytelling, the shot composition, the lighting, the set design, everything we see. Uh, when the djinn is telling these tales, his his life story to this woman named Alethea was probably some of the most gorgeous cinematography, the most the most interesting uh, storytelling devices I've seen in a long, long time. Like it lives up to the weird coolness reputation that George Miller developed for himself in the wake of Fury Road. And this movie is that for the first two acts, mm-hmm. the first two thirds of this movie, it, we're like seeing the seeing his history. We're like we see these really cool exotic locations, these very aesthetically diverse and interesting characters. Um, 
you know, the way the way he presents a scene. The, shoot, man, the way he presents someone getting killed and someone having sex are both weird, cool out there, but also like you can't take your eyes off of it. Man, hell, even hell, even the subtle moments like when he's by the uh, ocean's edge and the waves just splash and they look like uh, like uh, diamonds flying out. It's incredible. Yes. It's you're like, whoa, this is so cool. And then the third act hits. And the third act is basically she makes a wish and she goes home and her and the djinn talk some more. And then it kind of ends. And do you know the whiplash of going from amazing, high contrast, saturated cinematography in uh, in uh, Ottoman Empire times with these fantastical creatures or when you're with the Queen of Sheba, when you get really cool imagery like that, aesthetics like that. And then the entire third act is basically Tilda Swinton by herself in a flat or by herself in front of a green screened park uh, mm-hmm. with really, really flat visuals and cinematography. And sometimes the Elba shows up. Mm-hmm. Do you know how crazy that whiplash is? It's insane. Like, <laughs> like at, at first I thought, okay, the, the movie's about to end. And then I'm like, okay, the movie's about to end. And then I realized, wait, no, no, they're doing an entire third act. And it sucks. It's bad. It's really, really bad in the sense of like the chemistry. Listen, Idris Elba and Tilda Swinton don't really have a lot of chemistry throughout the entire film, but you, 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 you're not bothered by that because they just met, they just met met. Alethea just has just met a magical creature and she's like, I can't trust you. So it makes sense. And then when I'm not going to go into spoilers, but then something happens where they now have to inherently intrinsically trust each other and be close with each other. And you just don't buy it. I remember I was thinking to myself, like, wait, does she really feel this way? She says she does, but I don't believe it. <laughs> and um, and that's the entire third act. And it's quite painful because Idris Elba is still giving a. As a, when he's when he's in the storyteller gin mode, he's giving a really, really good performance. You really feel the pain when he talks about the lows in his life or the moments he's been the gin equivalent of suicidal um he he really sells being a heartbroken gin he he sells a lot of things in the first two acts and then the third act he's supposed to feel a certain way towards alethea and it's like i i can kind of believe it but like not really but so much more than from tilda swinton where she's like i feel this way and i'm like no you don't <laughs> um and then we're we're introduced to to two new characters and you think like, okay, well, I guess the third act is going to be about them. And then they just disappear after their first couple of scenes. Uh, and then, uh, then an obstacle pops up that makes the gin going through life really hard. And you're like, Oh, well, this is a new, this is, this is a new, this is a different or like, okay. So this obstacle popped up and then it's like, it's instantly resolved. Or not even that. It's pretty much like, oh, well, you just need to do this. But what about this? Who cares? And then that's it. The movie ends. And, you know, 
you're wondering, you think to yourself, like, why? How how did we go from something that was so strong for the first two thirds? And then the whole third act is just like really so sloppily put together. And then you realize, oh, this was shot during the pandemic. And it all makes sense. <laughs> it all makes sense. See, are, are you going to tell me it doesn't make sense? I'm not going to say that. There, there, there's despite, literally. Hold on. I'm saying despite what you're saying, I still liked it more than you did. But we'll oh. get into that. Go on. Okay. So, uh, this movie was supposed to shoot in March 2nd of 2020. That didn't happen. They no. started sh they started shooting in November 2020, and it shows. Um, the entire third act, like, Tilda Swinton is mostly by herself, not touching anybody. And you always feel like, is she in front of a green screen? And then you realize, oh, she has to be. Because this is like when COVID protocols were first came up. And they were tough and they were very strict about what you could and couldn't do. Mm -hmm. And it shows that my conspiracy theory is that they shot the. Well, no, let me go back a bit. My conspiracy theory is that uh, George Miller pretty much had to real had to had to shoot something in 2020 to for the movie to still be going on. And instead, what he do does is like, OK. What if I do rewrite the entire third act, make it so that it's mostly just Tilda and Idris, and you know, then I shoot the 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 meat and like the the bread and butter, the meat and bones of it all, like at the tail end when things will be not as strict, and I'll be able to have more people interact with each other, you know, and mm -hmm. that seems to be exactly what they did. Uh, unfortunately they couldn't shoot in Istanbul like they wanted. So they just had to shoot it all in Australia and Australia had very, very strict, um, rules, very, uh, rules regarding COVID and it shows, it shows, um, it, it would not surprise me if that was the case. Uh, that being said, the first two thirds were probably shot in the tail end, probably after a break in filming. And it just, it just, <laughs> It, it just works so much better. I wouldn't be surprised if the original draft had the Jin and uh, Alethea like interact outside of a hotel room, but probably in the new draft, they're like, okay, they just stay in the hotel room. Well, yeah, that's, I do agree with that. I think there's a moment where she decides I need to get some air and she goes throughout the city and he's like with her, but no one else can see her, see him or something. I don't know. He's always just out of sight from everybody else. And they probably had a whole plan with that, but instead they're like, well, we genuinely can't do that. We genuinely cannot. So yeah. I, do I do buy that, and that would have been really cool. And I think we would have then accepted with that, because in the third act he basically goes home with her, quite literally, back to London. Yeah. And I think we would have accepted that more, because I, I, I don't doubt that that's what's supposed to happen towards the end of the movie. I don't doubt that that was the initial plan. But I think that was so much closer to the resolution, like you said. So I think if we had seen them go throughout Istanbul together and then later on, they then, you know, they go back to the hotel room and then they decide, OK, I have to fly back home, but I'm taking you with me. That whole thing. We would have accepted them going throughout London or her home a little bit more because they're already out and about. Visually, we would have accepted that. But then you realize, oh, shit, we genuinely cannot do that, like even at all. Um, so, okay. Yeah. So there are three stories 
in the first two acts. One is when the jinn is with the Queen of Sheba. Another is when the jinn is discovered by by a concubine girl in uh, the palace of Solomon the Magnificent. And the third story is about a young, a young, very bright girl he kind of falls in love with named Zephyr. So which one of those three tales, C, was your personal favorite? So my personal favorite was probably... Ooh... Probably the concubine story, the first, the first story, I should say. Well, that's the Queen of Sheba story. Sorry, yeah, the Queen of Sheba story was okay. The Queen of Sheba story and the concubine story were both equal for me. I liked both equally. Um, just thoroughly enjoyed them. The last story was very good, but again, just wasn't quite as visually amazing as the first two. That's mm-hmm. what I'd have to say. Yeah, the the third story because it takes place in the 19th century. It's not as exotic as the previous two, uh, but that being said, it probably has the best perform. So, outside of Idris Elba, Tilda Swinton, and some people in the framing device, uh, nobody speaks English in this movie. Mm-hmm. And the actress who played Zafir was probably the best of of the actors in these stories. Her name is. Bursu Gol Golgadar. Sorry and if we mispronounced the name. Yeah, she had she had the best performance because she's playing like this this woman who wants more than what society and life has given her, who wants to learn more than society and life has given her, and for my money, she had really good chemistry with Idris Elba. Mm-hmm. Um, really good chemistry, much more than Tilda Swinton and Idris Elba had together. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, probably on a visual scale, the one I loved the most was the story of Queen of Sheba. Because <laughs> let it not so obviously if there's a story about Queen of Sheba, there's gonna be a story it's gonna be a story about King Solomon. Mm-hmm. And hey man, the king of the king of Israel, he was boss in that story. Cause he basically can talk he can talk to supernatural beings, he's super smart, he and he knows how to play guitar really well. Yeah, um, well, that's it. That's there there's it. a yeah, no, he's like the perfect dude. And I was like, okay, this is this is pretty <laughs> boss. Yeah. Um uh but yeah, no. Um yeah just thinking about that movie i'm i'm I, I just i'm so frustrated because this again the cinematography the set design the costumes the lighting everything about the those three stories the story of sheba the story of the young concubine the story of zephyr there's oh they're just stuff that you don't see there's they're so grandiose they're so unique they're so there's there's such there there's such a, a treat for the eyes and then for the third act to just be in a CGI, CGI green screen London flat, mm-hmm. it's just, it's really deflating. It's really emotionally defeating for me. But you don't even give it an inch, an inch of like, like, you don't give it an inch of forgiveness because of the situation they were in? No, no, I no. I, I do. I really, really do. It's just one of those things that, like, the cardinal sin for me, a cardinal sin that a movie can make is that it just completely flops at the ending like just completely like falls on its face fails at the ending because then you're leaving the theater with a with a bad taste in your mouth Mm. and i i don't think any filmmaker wants that i'm i'm pretty sure that george miller was like this is the best i can do with all the limitations set upon me because of covid Mm. and it's still like ah dude i just i don't know it would have been one of those things that like 
and I know the studio never would have gone for it, but I, I feel like George Miller could have at least said, okay, um, we need to delay shooting the third act because we can't just do all in front of green screens. People are going to notice. Like I noticed mm-hmm. there, uh, folks, we're an audio only podcast, but if you watch the trailer, uh, you're going to see Tilda Swinton in a cafe, right? Looking mm-hmm. out the window. Everything in that shot is fake except maybe. The no, the window is fake. Everything's fake except wow. the chair she's sitting on. She's yeah. just literally in front of a green screen twisting her, 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 her hand at an invisible spoon. And it's mm. it, like, it's ridiculous. And uh, I, I know I'm harping over something that was out of their control. They were doing the best with a with a bad situation, but still it's just, ugh. <laughs> so here's my thing. I, I thought the first two, so obviously I don't want an ending. I don't, I never want a disappointing ending in a movie. Of course. I'm, I'm not saying that, but I think for me, the first two acts delivered so well. And yes, I admitted that parts of it were weaker. I, they stayed in the hotel room for way too long. The third act dragged without a doubt. Um, but I still fully admit I had a great, the, the moments that were good were really, really good. And I can't, God, it feels like I'm the angel and you're the devil on someone's shoulder here and trying to convince them to watch this movie. All I'll say is that you'll either way you will have a good time with this movie um i'll say right now if you can see it in theaters that's the best version to do so but this is a perfectly fine movie to have on with some friends you'll have fun a good amount of the time you'll just love the insane visuals you know it's it's you're gonna you're gonna love it um I also feel like I just choose to be more forgiving for how well they did under the circumstances. Believe me, there are movies, okay, there are movies that clearly were filmed during COVID and were just bad all the way through. Just not good. Like, in every way. Hell, even though I was a little nicer in this review, we talked about how clearly when they filmed Firestarter that COVID fucked things up without a doubt. And in the end, we realized that it really wasn't a very good movie. Um, but this was no Firestarter. This was significantly better than Firestarter. And so I think that just shows the talent of the director that despite all the pra- nearly insurmountable hurdles, he made an enjoyable movie despite that. So I still com- I commend him on that. And I still, I did, I genuinely had a good time with it. Um, I so that's my defense of this. Okay, I was I remember telling you, see, as we were watching the movie, that I whispered to your ear, this might be one of the best, my one of my favorite films of twenty twenty two. This was like halfway through the, the story of, of the house of that. yeah the house of Solomon story. Yeah, I was so into it. I, like it was taking risks by showing like not all concubines are what we consider sexy to us 
potentially. It's not our beauty standards. Beauty yeah. in the eye of the beholder, so to speak. Yeah, or like we would see like just these glorious like snippets of battle scenes that where you just saw them just fuck each other up. It was it was glorious. Like almost like like watching snippets of Zack Snyder's uh, 300. Well, first of all, this I think you even mentioned this in the theater. This movie gives a real Tarsum Singh vibe. Yes. Yes. And you I was waiting for you to mention that, but this is so folks, I know for half of this podcast is going to make you think that I'm obsessed with the movie Troy. Let me be clear to tie it all together haphazardly, much like this movie tried to, um with a little red thread. I will say that like Troy I love what this movie was trying to be, but unlike Troy, it got damn close. Um, that being said, the reason why I reference Tarsum Singh is Tarsum Singh, as I know Al knows, made a visually fantastic movie called The Fall, which is a must-watch. But he also made a movie which was pretty, which was entertaining, called Immortals, which was like 300 but with more colors. Um, yeah. And that really gave a lot of 300. This this really looked like Immortals a lot. But in the Middle East. Yeah. Um well, in the Ottoman Empire to be more specific in Turkey. Sure, yeah, in the Middle East. You're right. Sorry. In in the Ottoman Empire in Turkey. You're right. Sorry. Now, now the the funny thing is that I <laughs> I as I was watching this movie I was like, okay, this is this is Zack Snyder means Tarsum Singh, which ironically they were very good friends because and classmates <laughs> together. Um, yeah. But obviously this is an older filmmaker. This is George Miller who's been working since the eighties. Yeah. There's no. I, I'm. 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 It, I struggle to try to describe just how how much of a visual feast he shoots those stories. It. It really is. It's. It's like. Like if you loved his use of saturation and color in Furry Road, the the stories, the the story of the Queen of Sheba, the story of the concubine in the House of Suleiman, the the story of Zephyr, you're you're gonna love those stories. But it's just gonna piss you off all the more when you just see how bland and lifeless the third act and ultimately the resolution of the film is. It's it's bad. And <laughs> Oh, it's just it's just one of those things where you're like, I feel like this would have been something that I per I listen, I know it's so presumptuous of me. Um, to be like, you know what, let's put a pause on this until we can shoot it the right way. Listen, George Miller yeah, was there's there's so you sorry, you said it best. Go on. It it's so fucking presumptuous of me to be like, Well, I would have done that. George Miller was probably like, These people need jobs, uh, they haven't worked in a while. We need to shoot what we can and we need to shoot it now. And you know, I applaud him for that. It's just so frustrating that it's just, yeah. Like, if you guys can finally hear the disappointment in my voice, because I didn't. Go, I went into this film thinking, okay, it's gonna be, it's gonna be a George Miller movie, which means there's gonna be some weirdness to it. There's gonna be some really cool scenes in it, and I might really like it. I might be like, okay, that was whatever. And again, as the but movie you're, was, you're matter because it was so good for hot for. For two thirds, dude, so good, really, really, really good. Like, oh, uh, and it's just not a format you see a lot. Like, just telling story. Because here's the thing, uh, 
it's basically an extended monologue of Idris Elba, him telling the stories to tell the twins Alethea. Uh, there's no really like him talking. There, there are some scenes of him talking to somebody, but we never get like independent scenes of him with the characters in these stories. Right. So we really do get the sense that we're watching a, a story play out in front of us, kind of like a play. But in any case, it was. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> well, see, want to give your want to give sure. your score? Sure. So I I can't give this a flush as even though I liked I'm defending it more than you. And I know you're not hating it, but I can't give this a flush. But it's more than a movie either. This was a This was a good movie. This is a good movie that kept me wanting more. So it is, it's above the movie. It's just right in between flesh and movie. It's right in between there. And I'm just taking in everything we know about it um, to know that, to, to give it that rating. So it's it a movie that left me longing. Uh, <laughs> so there, there, folks, there's my pun. You're welcome. Applaud me now. Um, like I said earlier, if you can see this in theaters, yes, that that will be, the the two thirds that Al is going Gaga over will be better, but you'll be okay, I think, if you don't see this in theaters. Um, I didn't see the fall in theaters, and I was perfectly fine. I'm pretty sure by the time this episode comes out, it's not going to be in theaters Shh, anymore. Don't tell them that. <laughs> That's the secret. That uh, no, it's pretty obvious now. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that film did not do well in the box office. No, it did. The box office already and, said and, and, exactly how that went out. And that's just because MGM was like, we just got bought out by Amazon. We're not spending any money on this. Mm-hmm. So they, they did almost no advertising outside of that trailer. We only knew it because, fun fact, when you see a bunch of movies in theaters, you see every trailer in existence. Hmm, that's so true. Which we've talked about before. Yeah. So listen. What do you give it? You might be surprised, but for me, this is a a... Movie with missing potential. Okay. This I is. Think, I think we're getting to the pretty close to the same end, just getting there in different ways. Yeah. I, if this movie, if I had, if I had to walk out before the third act because of a family emergency and mm-hmm. we had to come and do this podcast, I'd be saying this movie fucks. Because mm-hmm. for the first two thirds, this movie fucks and it fucks hard and it fucks in different ways mm-hmm. with uh, different sized women and it's glorious. <laughs> yeah. But and it globe trots too. Yeah, but I saw the third act. I saw the resolution, and that sucked. That sucked hard. That sucked like a desperate uh, crack hooker who needed her next fix. That's how bad it sucked. Damn. And listen, I don't blame Tilda Swinton. I don't blame Idris Elba. They're not. Like the way this business works is that the casting director chooses the actors. The actors don't choose the projects unless they're really, really big names. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was not their fault. They were both in this movie. It was not their fault. They had to, they had to have a certain type of chemistry with each other that they just couldn't make. Idris Elba is a very, very charismatic actor. He can make chemistry with anybody, even like a wooden plank. Um, Tilda Swinton, which a, he's, which I'm sure he did in. Uh, 
Pacific Rim, but yeah. <laughs> and Tilda Swinton is a very, very good actress, but she's a very particular type of actress, right? Well, first of all, for the record, um, I think we can all agree that she's fantastic in Michael Clayton, but everyone is. So. Yeah. Um, and I think what it was was that you just had two different wavelengths who are just couldn't match each other, so that's not their fault. Um, I'm not also trying to say that George Miller is a bad filmmaker. He's very obviously not. The first oh, two thirds of the the first two thirds of this film would probably have been my favorite movie of the year. It's just that the limitations of COVID, the the lack of chemistry between the leads, the lack of a specific type of chemistry between the leads is really what brought down this movie for me. And I call it a movie that with missing potential is because the movie you're going to see, I really doubt is the vision George Miller had for this project. I really, really doubt it. And mm -hmm. because of that, especially if you're a cinephile, especially if you've worked in the industry, you're going to watch this and you're just going to really, really feel the incompleteness of it all. Right. You're like, well, they're, they went from being like this to being like this. Uh, this is how they're resolving an, an issue that got brought up once. Um, these two characters appear out of nowhere and then disappear. So, yeah, that being said, that being said, those two first two acts almost, it's right on the line of making it worth it to go see it in theaters. Like, mm -hmm. I have no problem. I've never done this before. I have no problem telling people, yes, buy a ticket. But honestly, after they leave Istanbul, you can walk out the door. <laughs> I've never, ever, ever said that about any movie ever but i'm saying it for this one i'm wow. saying it it is worth buying a ticket and then just leaving before it ends because the visual spectacle you will get is worth it it really really is um now if you're the type who's like well i'm not gonna pay for a ticket for a movie you're telling me not to finish then listen uh, the moment this appears up, because yeah, this is MGM, so this is going to be on Amazon Prime. The moment it's on Prime Video, watch, watch it, it, and then watch it on the best, biggest 4K HDR TV you got with a good surround sound system, and marvel at it. And then once they leave Istanbul, you can turn it off or switch over to watching The Boys or The Terminal List or The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. I don't care. <laughs> but yeah. This is, I can feel your rage in this, in, in this review. It's so funny. It, it's not rage. It's just frustrated, you're not, disappointed. You're, you're not mad. You're disappointed. I'm really disappointed because I, again, I literally was whispering to this man right here mm -hmm. saying, this is probably my favorite movie of the year because that's how much I was in love with it. Mm -hmm. And when it just crashes and burns that bad, it's just, you're, you're going to get, you're going to get, you know, you're, there's going to be heightened emotions about it. Um, but that being said, again, it is a movie with missing potential. Um, mm -hmm. This doesn't go to a male level just because nothing about the first two acts is in the, is even in the same realm of meh. No, no, no. That's yeah. above and beyond. You watch and you're like, holy crap. Someone had this in their heads and put it on a screen. It's amazing. And it really, really is. Oh, yeah. Well, on <laughs> that note, um, unless Al wants to work out his psychosis a little bit more. I don't um, have a psychosis, see. It's right. just what it is. Now, uh, that's been our review of uh, 3,000 Years of Longing, starring Idris Elba and Tilda Swinton, directed by George Miller. I'm Al. 
I'm C. Later, folks. Good night, everybody. Thank you.